You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by GetUpside. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. Today on the podcast, it is Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of what we talk about by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I address them here on the podcast, and we've got a ton of good stuff to get to, so let's get started. First one comes from David, and a lot of people sent in questions just like this. David said, how for or against are you trading for an established edge rusher in the vein of Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones, or Von Miller, rather than spending another high but not quite high enough pick on a young edge rusher? Of course, there is a lot to consider when it comes to the contract and what the Bills have to give up, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. So this is definitely interesting because I think we can all agree that an immediate impact defensive lineman would matter a ton for this defense. And there's a lot of players that are on expiring contracts that have factored into this defensive line rotation. And so I understand the appeal here. And when you bring up the names Mac Jones and Miller, I think you are focused on the right names here. These are guys that I would reasonably anticipate being available, which leads me to the Von Miller trade last year. The Rams gave up a second and a third round pick to get Von Miller, who is an expiring contract. And that was kind of an interesting layer to it because they parted with a couple of day two picks for a player that very much could be a one year player for them. And if they go win the Super Bowl this year, no one's going to think twice about that. And that would obviously be a good investment. And Von Miller has been an impact player for them. Now, obviously, they'd love to extend him and make sure that they can have him beyond this season. But I do think that the reason he was able to be had for a second and third round pick was the fact that he was on an expiring contract and was traded for during the season. But Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones, you could see it. You could see this as a possibility of both Arizona and Chicago being willing to trade those guys. And if you can do it for a two and a three, it's hard to argue against that. Like you said, though, David, the challenge is onboarding that contract. The Bills are not necessarily in a good position to absorb a contract like Khalil Max or Chandler Jones. There's no doubt in my mind that those guys can be an impact pass rusher and that they're nowhere close to being done making an impact in the NFL at a high level as a pass rusher. So if you can make it work from the money side of things, parting with a couple of day two picks for those guys makes all the sense in the world to me. The next one comes from Mike. Mike says, my question is, can you rank our best yards after catch receivers from best to worst? What makes them good or bad at yards after catch? It's a fun question, Mike, and I have all of the wide receivers and tight ends for the Bills ranked in terms of yards after catch per reception this year, and the numbers that I'm going to give you include both the regular season and the postseason. 
the Bills' number one player in terms of yards after catch per reception was Dawson Knox at 5.5 yards after catch per reception. Now, what makes him a good yards after catch player? Number one, he's athletic. Dawson Knox is one of the most athletic tight ends in the NFL, and obviously he's super physical and is not going to go down easy. And so that 5.5 yards after catch per reception speaks to those two things and also that Dawson Knox is one of the guys on the team that gets a chance to run routes that set up good opportunities for yards after the catch. Number two is Isaiah McKenzie at 4.7. I would still expect that to be a little bit higher, to be honest with you. I think that should be closer to six for a guy like Isaiah McKenzie. And what makes McKenzie a good yards after catch guy is the speed, the vision, the creativity, the agility, the elusiveness. I think it's pretty clear why McKenzie is a potent guy after the catch. And in previous seasons, his numbers were much higher in terms of yak. Then it's Gabriel Davis. And look, these numbers are all very below average. These are all below four. And yards after catch should be, I think, around six um, for a dynamic playmaker. And, you know, the Bills, you'll see here, they're they're very, very low. Gabriel Davis at four. Um, he's just not a super twitchy or explosive guy. He's got sufficient athleticism, but this isn't the type of player that is going to break pursuit angles and run away from people. And so that really limits his ability to produce after the catch. Cole Beasley at 3.9. You know, Beasley is a guy that's going to catch the football with consistency and he'll get the available yards, but he's not going to break a tackle. You know, he's not going to juke somebody and create more space for himself. He's a good athlete, but he's just going to get the available yards. Stefan Diggs, 3.4 yards after catch per reception. Now, Diggs is pretty competitive after the catch, and there are some moments where I'm like, wow, he created a lot for himself after that play. But when you think about a lot of comeback routes, a lot of in-breaking patterns, like just deep ins, um, sideline routes, they don't really set up well for opportunities to produce after the catch. So with Diggs, I think he's a more capable player after the catch than those numbers would indicate, but the types of routes that he runs for this offense don't set up favorable opportunities to produce after the catch. Then there's Emmanuel Sanders, 2.1. Um, I just think this is more about Sanders aging and not being quite the athlete he used to be. And um, obviously, he runs a lot of routes that are quite similar to Steph Diggs. And so those same contributing factors in terms of the types of routes run uh, limit him after the catch. So um, there you have it. That's the Bills receivers from top to bottom in terms of yards after catch per reception and what I think makes them effective or not effective. The next one comes from Justin, who says, Hi, Joe, you had us taking Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia, in your latest mock draft. Can you go through why you made that selection? Was he the best player on the board? And what is your opinion on the cornerbacks you passed on both Trent McDuffie and Roger McCreary? And with Spotrack having Levi Wallace's contract valued at $9.6 million being a hard no, what do you do? So, Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia, I think is a good fit for the Bills. I think he can play the one-tech. I think he can play the three-tech. He's explosive, physical, stout. I think he'd be a nice option next to Ed Oliver and just kind of working into the rotation. I think he's exactly what the Bills would want in an interior defensive lineman. And obviously, the only two interior defensive linemen the Bills have under contract right now are Ed Oliver 
and Star Latulale. And I think there's a chance that Star falls off this roster at some point this offseason. And so retooling this defensive tackle room is going to be a priority here for the Bills. And I think Devontae Wyatt really, really fits. As for comparing that choice to the cornerbacks available, I think this really comes down to me being predictive based on Brandon Bean's behaviors. He has told us time and time again that he believes that it starts up front in the trenches. He prioritized the defensive line. His contracts that he hands out go to defensive linemen. His early draft picks go to defensive linemen. And he flat out said in his year-end press conference, don't be surprised when I do it again. And lo and behold, on Thursday during the Senior Bowl practices, I had a chance to be on the field that day. And I'm always drawn to defensive linemen. And here I am watching defensive line practice and standing right next to me is Brandon Bean. He's dialed into these defensive linemen. Later in the session, you know who came and was dialed into the defensive linemen? Brian Gain. And so I just think there are enough clues here for us to be very serious predictively about the Bills going with a defensive lineman in the first round. And I just don't know if you look at the tendencies of Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean, even dating back to Carolina, that there's any reason for us to believe that they're going to pick a cornerback in the first round, even if the value would be appropriate. Uh, Justin had another question here. He said, the Draft Network had Calvin Austin the third wide receiver from Memphis, ranked 90th before the Senior Bowl, and now he's 71. Would the Bills have to take him in round two or trade up in round three? Also, are there any other players at the Senior Bowl that weren't on your radar for the Bills that are now on your radar? So Calvin Austin, wide receiver Memphis, I've talked a lot about him on this podcast, and I probably will uh, over the coming months, but he's a player that helped himself. And the bump up the board I thought was appropriate. We obviously had a meeting about it, and we moved him up about 20 spots. And so in terms of that yards-after-catch guy that can stress the defense vertically, that could also be your returner, I mean, Calvin Austin is that dude. I think he'd be a great addition to this Bills offense. And so the Bills want him. They probably have to pick him at the end of the second round or, like you said, move up in the third. We saw Tutu Atwell, who is 20 pounds less than Calvin Austin and, to me, a much less refined wide receiver go in the 50s to the Rams last year. I think the same thing can happen for Calvin Austin. As for other players in this mold that are on my radar for the Bills now coming out of the Senior Bowl, Khalil Shakur out of Boise State and Valus Jones from Tennessee are two guys that I think can also provide a similar skill set to the Bills wide receiver room. Andy says, could Trevor Penning play guard and would he be a fit for the Bills at 25? So Trevor Penning is from Northern Iowa, a teammate of Spencer Brown back at Northern Iowa, and Penning is an absolute mauler. I mean, this is going to be one of my favorite prospects in the draft. And so I think he's perfectly fine playing tackle. He's not a player that I look to and say, you need to move this guy inside. But if the Bills wanted to have him and they thought his best path to getting on the field was to kick him inside the guard, sure. I don't see any reason why he couldn't do it, although I think he can be a perfectly good tackle, and I'm not sure he gets to 25, to be completely honest with you. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, 
NHL, boxing, and UFC, along with live, real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online is where the game starts. Hey, Bills fans, this is Joe Marino with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 per gallon or more on your first tank cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account, and you can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. The next one today comes from Bob, who says, You mentioned on your Ken Dorsey episode about the Bills interviewing guys with West Coast backgrounds. I've read a few articles about the Earhart Perkins offense, and I know you've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on the scheme a little bit more and how it relates specifically to the Bills and their style of offense. Also, maybe highlighting the main differences between Earhart Perkins, West Coast, and Air Coriel. Just looking to learn more about the game, and you seem to know quite a bit about the subject. So yes, there are three different main passing offenses in the NFL. The West Coast, the Earhart Perkins, and the Air Coriel. The Bills run a variation of the Earhart Perkins with a lot of spread concepts layered into it. And with every system, there is a lot of cross-pollination in terms of concepts. So nothing is specifically one thing, but there is a foundation to them, and the Bills' foundation is the Earhart Perkins. So what are the main differences between the three schemes? Well, the West Coast passing offense is a timing-based and route-based offense. It's three-step drops for the quarterback, and the ball comes out quick. There's not a whole lot of creativity with it. It is three steps, get the ball out of your hands, and a lot of very short, shallow-type routes that are designed to just get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. 15 years ago, this is what every single team ran. Now, things have evolved, and this is kind of the system that you run when you have a below-average quarterback that doesn't have exciting physical tools. That is all just based on rock and throw, rock and throw, rhythm, rhythm, rhythm. It's not it's not a Josh Allen scheme. The next one is the Earhart Perkins, which is what the Bills run as their foundation, or at least did under uh, Brian Dable. It is a concept-based system uh, where you can really run a lot of different route combinations and, and concepts out of multiple personnel groupings and formations. It puts a lot of stress on the IQ of the quarterback and wide receivers and their ability to adjust on the fly. And so you can dress things up differently, but run a lot of the same stuff. And it's all based on what your concept is in terms of route combinations and then adjusting it to how the defense chooses to play you. And you can, like I said, do the same thing with a variety of personnel groupings and even formations because it's all concept-based. Your objective is to do this, and based on what they do, this is how you respond. And there's a lot of communication necessary and obviously processing skills required from your quarterback and receivers. In terms of the Air Coriel, that is the vertical passing game. Think Bruce Arians. Five and seven step drops that are designed 
to take shots down the field. And so, again, all these concepts, they cross-pollinate. There are things about each of them that are present across the board, but it's about your foundation. And when the Bills were interviewing West Coast guys for Josh Allen, I was getting pretty concerned. The next one today comes from 505 Roots, who says the Pro Bowl has become somewhat of a joke. What would you do to improve or change the Pro Bowl if you were NFL commissioner? I would move it back to Hawaii the week after the Super Bowl, make it a seven-on-seven flag football game, and give the winning conference an extra home game the following year. All right, so I am obviously not a big fan of the Pro Bowl. I didn't even think about watching it on Sunday. It doesn't really interest me. It's not real football, and I don't really want it to be. I don't want Stephon Diggs and Deion Dawkins going out there you know, several weeks after the season ended and playing a competitive football game. It's not the type of sport where you can just get together for a week of practice and play in a game. Football is not the type of sport that you can just play pickup games. And I don't want these players to have to play in a competitive football game. And so putting some type of bonus on it, like having an extra home game or something like that, I can't get on board with that. That's, to me, an undeserving consequence of the result of the game. I I can't get on board with that at all. So for me, if I were to do something about it, I would just have the selection. You, You pick the pro bowlers and that's it. You're a pro bowler. You made the pro bowl team, but you don't have to play a game. Now, the money piece of it, this isn't going away. This is going to continue happening. People go to this game. This is a money maker for the NFL. And as long as it is, I would expect nothing to change. And so if you want something to change, don't watch the Pro Bowl. Don't talk about it. Don't give it any thought or mention. And I don't think that's going to happen. So I think the Pro Bowl as is, is going to continue. And I'm certainly not going to ask these players to compete in a competitive football game with all that is at risk if you ask them to do that. The next one today comes from Mike who says, I just listened to your running back review and I agree that we need to bring someone in during the draft and or in free agency. In terms of free agents, we will need someone of value as a veteran running back. My mind immediately goes in the direction of Deonta Foreman. I thought he was the type of thunder that Singletary's lightning could use. With only a handful of games with successful play in the NFL, I can't imagine he would command a huge contract. So could he be the type of value add the Bills need knowing how successful he was at the end of the year last year with limited weapons around him. Yes, Mike, absolutely. This is exactly the type of investment I would be looking to make if I were the Bills. Deonta Foreman came on last year for the Tennessee Titans in place of Derrick Henry. He was coming off of an Achilles injury that really kind of sidelined his career. He didn't do much before that, to be honest with you. He's 25 years old, six foot one, 236 pounds carried the ball 137 times for 632 yards last year, three touchdowns, averaged 4.6 yards per carry, and he averaged 3.13 yards after contact per attempt. I really liked the way he ran the football. I thought he showed good confidence and competitive toughness and balance, and obviously he's got some explosiveness about him for a 230-pound back. And I also like that at Tennessee, they ran – a variety of concepts, but an emphasis towards zone, which is what I think the Bills are going to be next year. So across those carries, Foreman had 98 zone runs and 38 gap runs. And so this is 
exactly what I'm looking for the Bills to do at running back in terms of a veteran addition. He should not cost a whole lot of money. And a running back room of Devin Singletary, Deonta Foreman, some mid-round rookie, and Zach Moss, I feel good about that entering the season. The next one today comes from Jason who says, I recall a couple of years ago prior to the 2020 draft and before Josh Allen had his breakout season, you were asked by a listener which quarterback you would rather have, Joe Burrow or Josh Allen. You said it was close, but you'd go with Burrow. Considering the past two seasons as well as future outlook, who would you choose now and why? Personally, I can say Burrow is a tremendous talent, but Josh Allen is generationally elite and the better choice. Go Bills. So Jason, I would agree with you in that I would pick Josh Allen. And obviously I love Joe Burrow and it's not that bad of a take, especially at the time where Josh Allen was coming off of a couple of middling seasons and it was before his breakout in 2020. And I was very familiar with what I thought Joe Burrow could be in the NFL. And his starting point was much further along than Josh Allen's. But having seen Josh Allen develop over the last two seasons and see what he did in the playoffs this year, I'm not walking away from 17, no way. And I like Joe Burrow. But let's be honest about what he did during the playoffs. Was he the main reason why they got to the Super Bowl? Or was it more about other things? He wasn't that good in the AFC Championship game. I thought they were the beneficiary of some very fortunate moments in all three of their playoff wins to get to the Super Bowl. And so I'm not trying to take anything away from Joe Burrow. I think he's one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of guys you'd want to move forward with. And the Bengals fans should be elated with this guy. But I really like what Josh Allen brings to the table. And obviously he's got more mobility. He's got more arm strength. He's got exceptional leadership skills, which I think Joe Burrow does as well. What does Joe Burrow have on Josh Allen? Maybe a little bit more accuracy? That's about it. I'm sticking with Josh. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and save money when using rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? They have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. The next one today comes from Billsy, who says, You laid out the backup quarterback need well, and we know the Bills will be financially hamstrung. I'm all for Fitzmagic or another similar quality option. But let's say the Bills can't afford a top-tier backup. What about Cam Newton? Yes, he's done as a starter, but surely he's more threatening than Davis Webb. Would appreciate your thoughts. So the Bills won't have Davis Webb. It looks like he's going to sign with the New York Giants. And from my understanding, the options that he had this offseason were to be the Bills quarterback's coach 
or be the number two quarterback with the Giants. He's obviously selected to be the number two quarterback with the Giants. So, yeah, there's a good chance the Bills don't have a ton of money to invest in this backup quarterback thing. And Cam Newton is a player worth talking about. However, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Cam Newton to be able to execute the passing game at a reasonable level. We know what he brings to the table as a runner. But as a thrower, I get concerned. However, him being reunited with Ken Dorsey, where he's had his best seasons in the NFL under Dorsey's coaching, that gets me a little bit interested. So if the Bills have to settle and really can't commit much money to a better backup, I think I can get behind Cam, but let's just hope Josh Allen stays healthy. The next one comes from Adam. Adam says, with Ken Dorsey now the offensive coordinator, do you think he will put his own tweaks on the current offensive system or create his own? Dorsey being new to the OC spot, it would seem overwhelming to create and implement a new system by OTAs. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of carryover, but surely Ken Dorsey is going to put his own stamp on it. I mean, this is his opportunity to run the show. He gets to be the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. This is an opportunity I'm sure he's dreamed about for a long time. It's his stepping stone to becoming a head coach. And so I fully expect Ken Dorsey to take full ownership of this offense and carry over a lot of stuff, but also put his own stamp on it. And as far as creating a new system goes, I mean, that's a pretty normal thing in the NFL. You have nine different head coaches this year. And how many more coordinators? Probably another three or four. I mean, almost half the league is implementing a new offensive system this offseason. It's pretty much par for the course in the NFL, given how much turnover there is among coaching staffs. And so I don't really blink an eye at that. I think that's just part of being in the NFL. You have to be able to adapt and implement and incorporate new systems in short periods of time. Now, the Bills are at a benefit here because everything won't be new with Ken Dorsey. There can be carryover. There can be some consistency with the communication. Obviously, personalities and relationships, all of that stuff matters a lot. But I do expect Ken Dorsey to put his own tweaks on this thing and uh, make it his own. The next one comes from Eric, who says, This is regarding the concept of situational football. I've heard you bring it up a lot. Right after the Bengals won the AFC Championship game when Zach Taylor was interviewed, the first thing he said was, we played good situational football. It seems like this is an area the Bills did not excel in this year, given that we lost every single close game, not to mention the 13 seconds debacle. So in your mind, is this something the Bills need to work on? And if so, how? Is this McDermott studying more game film, working on certain scenarios and practice more? Would love to hear your thoughts. So this is a good question, Eric. And on one hand, I would not label the Bills a bad situational football team. However, they do have some pretty big black eyes, the biggest one being how they managed the last 13 seconds of the game. And we've heard Sean McDermott talk about this, and he's quite disappointed in how those 13 seconds played out. And he talked about, we practice these situations. We are more prepared for these situations than we were able to show. And so I don't think that the Bills are typically that team that struggles with situational football, but they have some black eyes. To me, when the Bills got in trouble this year with situational football, the issues came back to poorly timed penalties and other self-inflicted wounds. 
And some of it was them not getting calls that they should have gotten. Go back to the New England loss, the Tampa Bay loss. In both of those games, the Bills deserved a much better fate when it comes to penalties in favor of them. But go back last year in 2020, and the Bills won all of the close games. And so I don't think there's a big overarching pressing issue here. I think there was some unfortunate moments, some big black eyes, and some self-inflicted wounds. I don't think we will consider the Bills to be a poor situational football team very often moving forward. The next one today comes from Paul who says, it seems weird that NFL hopefuls are going to attend the NFL Combine and increase or decrease their draft stock by performing activities out of context of an actual football game or practice. The Senior Bowl format seems like a much better way to evaluate if a guy will make it in the NFL or not, but flies under the radar for most fans. As someone with experience at both events, can you talk about the difference between them and their level of importance for your evaluations? Do you think the NFL and the players could benefit by having a more inclusive event that showcases future draftees the way the Senior Bowl format does? What is your preferred event to attend? Which do you feel you learn more about a player and their chances to make it in the NFL? All the best for another draft season. Love this question. So yes, the combine can help or hurt prospects, but here's the bottom line. You can't hide, if you're a player, you can't hide from having to do athletic testing. Whether it's at a pro day or at the combine, you have to do it. And so you can choose not to participate, but eventually you have to participate. You have to validate your athleticism. And so there's no real hiding from it. You have to do it. So yes, it can help. And it can hurt players, but it's also something that you have to do. The Combine for me is more of a networking event with agents and other media personalities. I don't gain that much from interacting with the players. It's a pretty buttoned up situation where the players have some media availability, but for the most part, they are dialed in on team meetings and making sure that they are ready to do their best in the drills. And so from an evaluation standpoint, I enjoy watching the drills. I gain some insight into their movement skills and flexibility. And obviously the timed athletic testing tells us how explosive they are. And there's a lot to be gleaned from that. But from an evaluation standpoint, I really favor the senior bowl. It is a legit opportunity to see people compete against each other doing football things. And it's bigger for smaller school guys. When you think about some of the FCS and D2 and D3 prospects and even some of the the mid-major teams and the FBS, seeing those players go up against the best of the best is a bigger deal for them. And when they can stand out, it means a lot for their draft stock. And we also want to see players that we expect to dominate, dominate. So both events can produce meaningful takeaways that should help you evaluate prospects, but I would argue that the Senior Bowl is a more significant data point. And the entire process of scouting a football player, whether it's looking at their previous seasons before they are draft eligible, evaluating their final season on tape, taking into account what they accomplished and their resume and their injury situations and any background information, then it's the all-star circuit, then it's the combine, then it's the pro days. It's all about collecting information and using it consistently to stack players. 
And so I treat every one of them as a different data point. But to me, it always goes back to the tape. For as much as I love the Senior Bowl and my opportunity to evaluate these players or see them move around to the combine or get to meet them at either event, what you did on tape matters the most. And it is the overwhelming majority of where I put my emphasis on when I'm stacking players. And so you like to see consistency. You like to see the stuff you saw on tape show up at the combine at and at the senior bowl. And when it doesn't, you have to start asking yourself some questions about what you actually saw when studying the game tape. But it's all data points. You like for them all to correlate. You like them to all build off one another. But for some players, that's not the case, which prompts asking good questions and the revisitation of your evaluation and how you stack them. So not everything carries the same weight. And I think through years and years of doing this, you can learn how to appropriately apply each data point correctly to the evaluation and feel good about how you treat each different data point. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, we get back on track with the performance review series. We're going to talk about the offensive tackles. Then we'll get to the interior offensive line and then maybe something fun for Friday that I have planned. So make sure that you're subscribed. Don't miss it. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.